Oh, luggage, my favorite subject. Can you literally <laughs> talk about it all day long? And I'm not even exaggerating. Hello, and thank you for downloading. You're listening to Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure, a weekly series looking at unfamiliar places across the world, an aspect of travelling you may never have thought of. I'm your host, Ian Oliver, also known as the Barefoot Backpacker, a middle-aged Brit with a passion for offbeat travel, history, culture, and the whys behind travel itself. So join me as we venture Beyond the Brochure. So how are you all this week? Are you getting used to my weekly podcasts yet? Despite me saying I'd probably not be able to do weekly podcasts? I know, right, it's alien to me as well. Who knows how long this will last? I suppose, being British, I ought to first off mention the weather. For the second weekend in a row, we've been hit by a huge named storm, and parts of the country that hadn't yet recovered from Storm Kira were then inundated even more by Storm Dennis. The two were quite different. Kira was more about the wind, while Dennis was more about the rain. But having both in quick succession has been pretty devastating, with some regions experiencing a month's worth of rain in a day and serious flooding happening across the country. Surprisingly, Sheffield hasn't been hit too badly. This is a city built on seven hills and five rivers and gets flooded every so often, so you'd probably expect there to be some danger here. But regionally, the worst floods have been in the Calder Valley, out by Hebden Bridge and Todmorden. It's a fascinating part of England for many reasons, and I need to go back there at some point, but right now it's one of the worst-hit places. The first wave of Storm Dennis really started to hit mid-morning on Saturday here, conveniently not until I was halfway back home from Pargrun. I'd been looking at the weather forecast with some trepidation over the course of the Friday evening, but when Saturday morning came it seemed quite, well, bright makes it sound more joyous than it was. Dry and grey-white cloud is probably more reflective of the situation. I'd woken up surprisingly sprightly too, so I figured I might as well at least head out and test the conditions with a short jog down the hill to the bus stop. It was a bit damp underfoot, but nothing severe. Being very dyspraxic, I've got no balance, and I don't like going down hills much, especially at speed, and damp weather makes it more likely I'm going to slip and fall over. Plus, I'm quite wary of running barefoot in damp weather anyway, as I tend to feel every little stone under my foot. But, knowing that the Sheffield Castle Park run is pretty smooth tarmac all the way round... I decided that, you know, as I was outside and not actively disliking the conditions, it made me, it made sense for me to go and see what the parkrun was like. I knew it, I could always walk around it if I'd got problems anyway. But in the event, wouldn't you know it, I ended up recording a parkrun personal best, and by some margin. Woohoo! Now, 27 minutes and 5 seconds isn't necessarily quick for my demographic, but it felt damn good. Apart from, you know, the long last hill, especially on the last lap, it goes on forever, that bloody thing. The path itself wasn't actually that damp at all in the end, so I didn't have any issues with the downhills. Indeed, on my visit two weeks previously, it was probably damper in a way, because for some reason a couple of the corners then were were muddier. It must be said, though, this was also the first park run I'd neither ran there nor had a slight injury during it, so in terms of actual running, it was the freshest I'd been. Later that day, I took a bus down to Millhouse's Park in the south of the city, as there's another park run based there, and I wanted to, as they say, have a look at the circuit. It's a little bit rougher underfoot, though I do know someone else online who does run it barefoot sometimes, but it has the unusual advantage of being flat, 
and flat part of Sheffield are savoured like unicorn poop. The disadvantage is that it's a very popular park run, like a couple of hundred people take part in it, presumably because it's flat, and also partly because the area it's in is so very middle class, so you'd always be slowed down by the people getting in the way of you, I guess. I wonder if there's a parkrun podcast. I must check that out next time I'm on my CastBox app. Anyway, you can infer from this that I have, as discussed last week, now temporarily moved to Sheffield. It's been quite calming so far. I do indeed have a lot more space to spread out, and I'm enjoying being close to the city centre. The slight disadvantages, little things like the libraries that aren't open for as long in the daytimes as they are in Nottingham, and they're closed on Sundays, and the internet in the house isn't quite as reliable as back at my own home. But overall, I think this is going to be good for me. I mean, despite this, I have had a headache for much of the week. It's not a severe one, but it's been there on and off at random times. I don't know if it's a physical manifestation resulting from the anxiety I was having last week about finances and stuff, or whether it's related to something else. I thought I was getting a cold on Friday. I started to get that tightness in the throat I always get the day before it hits, but I wonder if the parkrun I did on Saturday morning basically blew that out of the water. The only other thought I've had is, well, I haven't had any alcohol since last Thursday, the day I moved here. Looking online, there's a suggestion that people who give up alcohol do get withdrawal symptoms that can include headaches in the first 48 to 72 hours, but that information's geared more towards people who might consider themselves alcoholic. My alcohol consumption in the past couple of months has been an average of two to three pints of beer a day, which I guess builds up to a lot over the course of time, and the beer I drink tends to be at the higher end of an alcoholic percentage, at least for British beers. It's between about five and nine percent. So maybe I've been putting more alcohol into my body than perhaps I've realised. It'll be interesting to see what happens next time I have a beer, which might well be before you hear this pod. I'm probably socialising on Thursday, which is when I try and release them. Uh, so I'll let you know next time. I can't really explain why I've not had any beer this week. It's kind of not been relevant, if that makes sense. Had I still been at home, then I'd certainly have gone out to the pub a couple of times. But here I just haven't felt the need, the desire. Which does make me wonder whether why I drank so much was to experiment with different tastes, or whether it was just simply out of a combination of boredom and anxiety. Of course, one of the reasons I moved was to encourage me to be more social, which you'd expect may involve evenings out and alcohol, but of course it doesn't have to. I'll see how I feel about it and what I do. So, internet news this week. I was having an awesome natter last weekend with Alison, who hosts the Travel Lingo podcast, and she pointed me in the direction of an online employment marketplace website called Fiverr. Fiverr, I keep wanting to roll the R's, there's two R's in it where people can tout for business and offer their freelance services. I've now registered and I've put two hire me offers out there. At the time of podding, no one's responded to either yet, so I may have to take a look at them in the next couple of days to see if I can improve the ads. One's for podcast editing, because podcasts are becoming very popular and people have a tendency to just simply record them on their iPhone without any kind of wherewithal or worry about what it sounds like. And I reckon I can probably make it sound good. But the other one, and I didn't realise just how much of a market this was, I have to say, is for voiceovers and voice work. I mean, I don't know how popular middle-class, mellifluous, middle-England male British accents are, but there's certainly a whole raft of ways that voices can be used. I'll admit, if I ever become noteworthy, I've always wanted to be the voice announcing, the next stop is Kirkby Cross. Change here for the Nine service to Derby and the like on the Trent Barton buses in Nottinghamshire. But that, plus the phone service commands you get when you dial businesses, tend to be female voices. And while I can put on the perfume, even wear the dress sometimes, I'll always be the bridegroom and never the bride, as the lyrics go. It was really hard to post the adverts, because I'm 
someone who has a quite a downbeat view and feel of my own abilities. And I don't like to think about promoting myself and what I can do. But I'm hopeful it'll all work out. It's either that or, you know, get a proper job. One Philip I have had, though, around this very subject is with my friend Amy. She's someone who's often been direct and quite critical of some of my career choices in the past. But I was discussing this with her and she said that I have a, quote, nice soothing voice, unquote. I'd sometimes read to her when she was in bed and she'd stop me after a few minutes to say she was falling asleep. And I'm still not sure if that was a compliment or an insult. But anyway, what we've arranged to do is to, as an experiment for me and something I can put on my portfolio, as it were, I'm going to record my reading a few chapters of a book for her so she can listen to it on her phone in bed and she's going to tell me how it feels and sounds. She reads quicker than I can record, so her finding the right book will probably be the trickiest part of this experiment, but we'll see how we go. So, to the podcast this week. Now, last week I said I wanted to try an experiment. Well, on Monday evening, I fired up Skype and had a long conversation with one of my Twitter friends, Alexi, who goes by the internet identity of TravelX. He's interested in starting up a podcast of his own, but wanted to get involved with mine first so he could get more of a feel about what to do and how everything worked. I, conversely, was interested in having more of a conversational feel to an episode, as I'd never done one before. I mean, of my own pod anyway. I appeared on both Graham Kenlow's Travel Writers Radio and Amanda Kendall's Thoughtful Travel Pod. But I wanted to see how it felt if I did the same kind of format myself, rather than simply use people's contributions as a vox pops like I normally do. The advantage is that it requires less pre-effort. As I write my pods beforehand, having a conversation with someone off the cuff makes the pod easier to record. The disadvantage is that I now have maybe two hours worth of recording on both the Skype file and my voice recorder to wade through and edit. That said, it does mean I've got probably enough content for at least one more episode, possibly more. Our original plan was to talk mainly about luggage, as that was my topic last week, so it kind of felt relevant. But we strayed on to many other subjects. When he comes to do his pod, that's kind of the way he'll go, straying into different questions and topics rather than keeping to one theme like mine do. And a conversational-based pod is brilliant for that. Anyway, let me know what you think of this in my pod. I'm interested to know if you think it works for me. So I'm on a conversation with Alexi from TravelX and we're actually having a Skype conversation, which is very unusual for my podcasts. I don't normally do this sort of thing. Um, say hello. Hi, Ian. There we go. See, he's there. This makes it a lot easier than me handling files. So um, while he's on the line, I guess I ought to get him to introduce himself so he can tell you basically who he is. Uh, over to you. Thanks, Ian. Um, thanks for having me, first of all. So I'm quite excited about this because uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts, but I've never actually been on one. So this does make a difference to my usual podcast consumption, I guess. It's good to be on the other side of the mic. So who am I? Uh, as you said, my name is Alexi, or a lot of people call me Lex, hence the Travel Lex part of it. I am a Londoner. I've lived in London for about 20 plus years. Uh, I was born and raised uh, in Russia, but I moved over to the UK when I was about 12 or 13. I can't even remember now. Um, and have lived mainly here ever since. A few years ago in 2015, I decided to start a small travel blog, which has remained very small. I think, what do they call us these days? Micro-influencers, or I don't know what the next level down is for micro-influencing, but I think that's me, to be fair. So um, that's where I am. Uh, I tend to focus on exploring the world through active travel and adventures. So that roughly translates to hiking, cycling, doing, playing sport, just basically keeping fit on the road. I mean, that's obviously not the only thing I do, but that's the kind of stuff that I enjoy doing while I'm traveling. That's fair enough. 
So my last podcast was about luggage and specifically what I tend to take on my travels. But you actually did contribute to that podcast. And you, you talked a lot about the fact that you generally try to travel like me with just hand luggage. We were having a, a discussion on Twitter earlier about, well, the fact that you have like a bag for everything. So I do have a bag for everything, but over the last few years, I've kind of tried to become a bit of a minimalist and I've tried to kind of cut cut down on not just luggage, but just things in general. So I've pretty much cut down to just one bag now. How big is it? Do you know? I do. Uh, it's 35 litres. Just like with everything these days, I do a huge amount of research on the Internet. I read reviews. I watch a lot of YouTube reviews, which I find incredible. And I have spent months researching this bag and I eventually did decide to buy it. And I went all the way to America to pick it up. Bloody hell. That's dedication. That That's that's commitment to the cause, that is. It's It's got to be done. Literally one of my favorite things and um, it's me and my friend, uh, we absolutely bond over this. We watch a lot of backpack reviews and we watch a lot of uh, videos about sort of packing solutions organization things like packing cubes and so on i've literally i I can't even tell you how many hours i've spent watching those kind (laughs) of reviews and as i am again in the market for a new bag for Ah. various reasons i that's pretty much all i do with my spare time what is it you're looking for then Is, is there anything specific is there any needs that you have so the main thing for me is a bag that one bag travel really is the ultimate goal here. So a bag that will allow me to travel the world without needing to check in a bag, basically. So hand luggage only and literally one bag, not sort of the the cheat way of having one bag and then sort of a smaller accessory bag. I'm really am really am trying to kind of fit my life into one bag. My current setup at 35 litres is fine. I managed seven or so weeks last year with just that one bag. But I think if I'm going to be spending a bit more time on the road, I do need something a little bit bigger. So I'm looking to upgrade to probably a 45 litre bag, which is dimensions wise is going to be pretty much at the limit of uh, what I can get and smuggle onto the plane basically. Is it sort of a a luggage bag that you would hold or is it like a backpack style? Because the thing is I mean I've got the one I use quite often is a backpack style it's 42 litres it's Mm -hmm. kind of pushing the limit of hand luggage but because it's a backpack I've tended to find that no one really notices no one cares no one's ever really weighed it. You know there's only been one airline ever that has questioned me about the size of my carry-on luggage do you want to guess the airline now it's either going to be something blindingly obvious like ryanair it's going to be something really really bizarre like like etihad no so have you ever flown with scoot oh i've heard of them but i don't think i've ever flown with them so i believe and i might be wrong scoot is basically the budget arm of singapore airways or at yeah, least i think at sense. one yeah. point they were so i don't know if they are sort of an offshoot or what the situation is right now in terms of the business side of things but scoot is an airline that's really popular in um, southeast asia but also in australia so they do a lot of um, flights from queensland and new south wales to singapore and they tend to be pretty cheap 
I mean, I've, I've certainly come across them, but I've tended to, when I've been in that sort of region, I've tended to fly either Jetstar or uh, AirAsia. AirAsia, yeah, which, which uh, to be honest, is a sensible thing to do. I think AirAsia is always the is always a good choice. Like, I've never had any problems with AirAsia, and, I, and I've literally taken over 30 flights uh, with that airline. So, um, but yes, yeah, Scoot were the, the only airline ever that have uh, pulled me up over the weight of my hand luggage. They flat out weighed my luggage, which no airline has ever done before, and basically told me it was too heavy. Okay. What did you do? To be fair, the woman was quite accommodating, and she said, is there anything you can sort of take out of the bag uh, and, you know, have as an accessory item? And luckily, I did have my DSLR camera in there, which I was able to pull out and obviously significantly reduce the weight of the bag. But... I think if you're not overpacking your hand luggage, you're not doing it right. <laughs> yeah, I did actually weigh when I went to Central Asia with my 45 litre backpack. I did weigh it afterwards and it was about nine to 10 kilograms and I was supposed to only have seven. So, But no one weighed it, so it didn't matter. No, Jesus, I think I've done like 13 or 14 kilograms when the limit was about six. So yeah, pretty much doubled the... The, yeah, the allowance. The only airline that's weighed my luggage was Air Vanuatu, but they weighed me as well. So <laughs> that's just what they do. They just because their planes are really small, they're those sort of um, 16-seater yeah. shuttle aircraft where the emergency exit is through the cockpit. So they literally weigh everything. I will say that their weighing machines aren't necessarily calibrated, so I seem to have lost three kilograms in the space of a day. But, yeah, they they didn't care how much it weighed. They just weighed it and made a note of it. Hey, if you're trying to lose weight, I wouldn't complain, and I would stick that in your diary. <laughs> it's a great place to fly on, actually, as well. I mean, there's there's no hand luggage at all. So even though my, my bag was hand luggage-sized, it just went in the hold, simply because it's basically a bus. That doesn't fill me with any sort of confidence about flying that airline. You haven't seen the, air, the uh, airports. So anyway, the, the the baggage. So is it is it kind of a backpack or is it like a, a wheelie luggage thing or? No, wheels on a luggage. I don't even know what that's what that is. Um, no, <laughs> the things or... I keep banging my feet on when I walk through an airport because they don't go quick enough. I don't even own a suitcase. I do have a suitcase in the house, but it's not mine. It's a friend's suitcase. And the only reason that I have it in my house is because I borrowed it to fly to the States to pick up my (laughs) current backpack because I knew that I wanted to transport it back and basically decided to flat pack it and put it at the bottom of the suitcase. And that is one of only three times that I've used a suitcase in the last 15 years. So it's definitely a backpack. Um, So my current bag, 35 litre bag, is incredible. It is a backpack, but it's got loads of really cool organizational sort of pockets and and, and spaces. And it can be used as a day pack. It can be used as a hiking pack, which is what I used it for last year. You can tuck away all the straps. And basically, the fancier the backpack, the more uh, likely I am to watch hours of YouTube videos about it. Of course. And my next bag, which I am currently deciding whether to buy or not, and it's literally down to the last two 
uh, is going to be very similar to that, just a little bit more spacious, really, in terms of capacity. So I am looking at 45 litres. I think similar. Yours is 42, yeah. you said? Uh, I can't yeah. remember if it's 42 or 45. I may have said both of them on this conversation. Yeah, I think you said 42. So one of the ones I'm looking at is 42 litres and the other is 45. But... The 45 litre ones has loads of really cool ways to like carry it. So it can be used as a backpack, but it can also be like used as a duffel. Okay. Which I think can be quite useful in some situations where you can tuck away all straps within a few seconds and basically carry it, you know, by like a, a handle at the bottom. Yeah. Um, which is incredible. I don't, think I've ever, I don't think I've carried a bag like that since I was at school. No, no, but the option is there, right? So that's yeah. what I'm going to spend almost 300 pounds on. Wowzers. Yeah. My, my, the backpack I've got was, um, well, the, the bigger backpack that I've got was on the sale about five years ago, and it cost about 35 quid. The smaller backpack that I used, the laptop bag, was um, free, technically, because it's my old works bag. And before you leave your... Oh, your I place work of work, you've got to get as many free things as you can. Well, absolutely. The conversation on my last day was was me saying, do you want the uh, laptop bag back? And my work colleague going, what backpack? Which was quite a nice touch. I wouldn't even ask. I would disappear <laughs> and they would be like, didn't didn't we have a, a backpack back there? <laughs> no. Well, I mean, they knew I used it anyway because I tended to use it for my short haul trips to Europe. So, you know, they knew I was using it for not necessarily its intended purpose. So I think they were happy to... Um, also, it was an older version, so I think they've got... By the time I left, all the laptop bags were different and slightly newer, and actually I preferred the older version. I didn't like the new ones. So I think they were probably didn't mind, to be honest. Is that one of those that almost every company in the UK seems to have, the one with the little Swiss flag as a badge? Oh, I've seen that. It's not one of those, the one I've got, but I think the ones that they replaced them with are. Seriously, I've seen so many of them in all different places around the country. So it's weird. There must be so many companies that just sort of bulk order them for their staff. Yeah, it makes sense. If the if, if companies are bulk ordering them, then the chances are they're quite cheap. Or at least if you bulk order them, they're cheap. Pretty decent quality as well. I think I have one somewhere. Yeah. For my purposes, I don't think they were... For the ones I'm thinking of, they weren't quite the right shape for what I use it for because they were literally laptop bags. Whereas the one I've got is a bit more bulky, if that makes sense. Mm. And do you still use that now? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's because it's more sturdy than my linen backpack. I use both of them as day packs, effectively, mm. but it fits my laptop as well. So it's it's quite useful if I go to the library and do some work in the library. It's it's a perfect thing to using it for its design purpose. Who knew? But equally, I can fit like four days worth of clothing in and a bit of electronics and a couple of books. And hey, Preston, I'm good for two weeks. Define what four days worth of clothing means. Uh, generally, four T-shirts, four pairs of underpants and one extra pair of trousers. Now, that's minimalist. I, I, I have clean underpants every day. I, you know, it's, I didn't when I did my big hike, but that's another story. <laughs> when, you you, when you're on a 57 day hike across Great Britain, it doesn't matter how much you smell because uh, no one's going to smell it. Exactly. And you can't, don't even notice it yourself. You don't even notice it yourself. And there's no point, you know, putting clean clothes on because they're just going to get sweaty again by the end of the next day. So you might as well just wear the same clothes again. But yes, no, I, I tend to try and wear clean clothes every day when I'm traveling. It just means I wash my clothes more often. Mm. And I think that's where the dilemma lies for me, because in an ideal world, I will only travel with one bag and 
do the same as as what you would do and and do you know washes relatively regularly i mean we're talking about every three to four days the problem i have is because of the style of travel that i tend to do so which involves a lot of hiking a lot of activities and going to the gym where i can i do tend to go through more clothes so so for example um last year when i was in thailand um after finishing my big trek I found myself using two to three T-shirts a day sometimes because, you know, if I went to the gym uh, first thing in the morning, you know, that's one T-shirt yeah. that you've already pretty much got to get rid of. Then you're wearing another T-shirt. And in Bangkok, if you've been to Bangkok in May, it's about 40 degrees uh, I, in the shade. As well, isn't it? It's, it's, it's going to be really sticky and humid down there. Like next level um yeah. the humidity was absolutely next level so within you know a couple of hours i was completely covered in sweat and it's like well there's there's, there's so much you can do with that t-shirt even if you are improvising you may use that t-shirt then for the next workout that you do because it doesn't really matter too much if it's slightly um sticky but you know you, you're still getting through clothes a lot quicker than you would you know in a different climate for example or if you are just sort of exploring uh, the town and not doing as much uh, physical activity so that's kind of what m- my thing i tend to bring about 10 t-shirts and 10 pairs of underwear with me but again i do end up sort of doing laundry every sort of four to five days even you know even at the best of times yeah, yeah that makes sense yeah because i mean we travel in different we travel for different reasons so yeah i'm not going to even even if I'm walking around a town, I'm not going to get anywhere near as sweaty as you are, generally because the places I go to aren't that humid, mm. and I'm not doing the workouts. So yeah, that that makes perfect sense, and it all fits into the into a 35 liter backpack then, because I'm not sure I could fit 10. Well, I certainly couldn't fit 10 t-shirts into my laptop bag. Packing cubes, man. Packing cubes. I have dry bags which I can roll down quite tightly, and they they're actually really good. Um, there's something I discovered on the hike and so yeah but I still don't think I could fit 10 t-shirts into a into a laptop bag I might give it a go actually do I have 10 t-shirts I don't know I I must have 10 t-shirts just about what else is in your bag generally not a lot so I'll generally try and take something electronic to type on like a small tablet computer or something obviously my phone my voice recorder Back in the day, everything I had ran off the same USB lead, which certainly helped. No, it doesn't because, you know, phones. Um, Isn't that the most annoying thing in the world? (laughs) Well, to be fair, my voice recorder doesn't either. So it basically now means I have three different times of USB lead. But it's fine. It's fine. Most of my things run off a USB-C lead. And again, this might sound stupid, but literally all the research that I do um, when I watch all those YouTube videos, when I was researching my brand new laptop or when I'm looking at a new phone, I literally one of the things I do is make sure that it runs off a, off a USB-C. So yeah. one of the reasons why I bought my current laptop is because it's actually chargeable via USB-C. It doesn't have one of those like huge plugs and a proprietary, you know, pinhole yeah, yeah. charger cable that literally charges via USB-C. So I can plug my phone in charge that and then when that's charged i can sort of take that cable and plug it into my laptop and start charging that that was one of the things that was really important to me and i bought a new pair of headphones which are those fancy bluetooth headphones and it uses one of those um apple cables what are they called oh 
uh, uh, lightning cable. Yeah, that's it. And that is literally as much as I love those headphones, it's one of the things that is really annoying me because I have to have a lightning cable for literally no other reason than to charge these headphones because I'm definitely not an Apple person. Yeah, it's why I don't have Apple products because it's just far simpler and far more efficient to use USB. Um, I do. My laptop is a proper big bulky laptop with a, a proper charging thing though my tablet is usb but my laptop isn't my laptop's a hefty beast that runs off a proper mains cable but the i it's a kind of compromise because i wanted something to replace my desktop computer effectively um so this is immensely powerful it's mm. just bulky and big it's just one of the compromises i've got to make now i did take it with me uh, on my interrail trip but that's because i wasn't doing any flying but next time i go abroad i'll dig out the tablet and use that instead yeah this is uh i went for something which would be as powerful as i possibly could but i also went for something that would be as small as i could possibly find and um the result was a very hefty price tag yes yeah it's it's all compromised a lot of a lot of all of this luggage lark is actually compromised it's for example it's it's how much do you compromise on how often you wash clothes how much do you compromise on how much uh liquids that you take it's because i don't take very much liquid either because obviously you've got the the 100 mil rule so generally i just take toothpaste and most of the other things i can just get when i'm there i've, I've taken to bars of soap rather than because normally at home i have the like the, the carex stuff the, the the bottles with the, the, the yeah thing. but when i travel i just take soap because you know soap that's really interesting, actually. I should maybe try doing that. I do use a, a certain shampoo, uh, yeah. which I would find quite difficult to find abroad, basically. But yeah, with things like shower gels and um, body wash and stuff and face wash, yeah, I could definitely, I think, find it at my destination more often than not. But I've got nice little small bottles from, what's that called? Shop called Muji. Uh, I think I've heard of them. End up getting a lot of stuff from Muji. It's really good for those tiny bottles and little little matchboxes where you can put like random things. So I've actually got a few of those that I stick into my uh, toiletry bag, which works very, very well for me. But yeah, other than that, just like you, I just pretty much bring toothpaste. Yeah, I mean, I have a specific brand of toothpaste that I use. So I, I kind of like to tra- travel with that everywhere. And um, if you heard my podcast last time, you'll realize that why I don't carry powdered toothpaste anymore. I was made to use powdered toothpaste probably for the first 12 years of my life. Absolutely disgusting stuff, isn't it? Absolutely. I used to cry every time <laughs> I had to brush my teeth. <laughs> but my nan, my grandmother was adamant that it's better for me than the chemical laced modern toothpaste, which uh, was becoming all the fad. Yes. How do you protect, you know, with going to, to some of the places which are a little bit off the beaten path? How do you sort of maintain the integrity of your bag, like in terms of things like rain covers or transporter bags? Or how do you keep it from disintegrating essentially in transit and so on? Uh, I don't, basically. Um, that's why my luggage is a bit bashed. Mm. But I don't, apart from the, the, you know, the sort of the tablet and stuff like uh, there's nothing really in it that's damageable. Because when you've got a, a bag that's basically clothes, there's not a lot really that can go wrong. What about sort of how do you protect it from the elements and stuff? Like if it starts raining or snowing? I've never really noticed a problem. I mean, now I have 
dry bag so I, all the stuff inside it is encased in bags that should keep out the water but previously i've tended to go to places where it hasn't rained interesting which i mean it's it's not what well, is it intentional a lot of the places that i've been to don't have winter and summer they have wet season and dry season so yeah. my tr- my trip around west africa for instance was five weeks and i think i saw one thunderstorm um southeast asia i went to when it was dry vanuatu i went to during the dry season so I, i've tended to avoid the rain pretty much that's good going i tell yeah. you what and i tend not to go to places that are cold enough to snow that's also very wise very much so my bag has um it actually comes with a rain cover included so it sort of tucks away into one of the many many pockets and um yeah it's pretty easy to put on you just kind of stretch it over the bag and it's bright yellow so also doubles up as a nice little high vis uh, jacket almost and um yeah it's really helped because in nepal last year we got caught in um you know in a rainstorm two days in a row and you're very lucky because every time i'm in southeast asia i end up getting caught in the rain Ah. so yeah i do need to protect the bag because it's not really waterproof like parts of it are but you know when they say it's weather resistant uh, quote marks that basically suggests that it's not waterproof at all (laughs) the pack i took on my hike across britain last year has a waterproof cover but i never used it and we had for the first five days of the Pennine Way trip absolutely torrential rain for most of the time but it didn't seem to have done it much harm so I'm quite glad about that. I guess I just don't like the feeling of the bag being damp you know it's sort of you sometimes sometimes if I'm just running home from the train station I don't bother putting the rain cover on and then I get in and the bag feels really damp and I just it's it annoys me. Yeah, it gets a bit smelly as well, I think, yeah. after a while. Like I played, uh, I had the wisdom of playing football on Saturday uh, yes. for my team uh, during the storm. And I had my bag out pitch side with me because living the bag in the changing rooms isn't a good idea because they get locked. But essentially anyone can sort of break into the changing rooms anyway and if you have any valuables in there it's yeah. it's just asking for trouble really so i took the bag out with me um thought it was really smart uh when i put my rain cover on you know around the whole bag i tucked in all of my straps because all the straps in my bag get tucked away really neatly and i put it on the ground what of course i didn't realize didn't think about the ground being very very wet especially um as you know as the rainstorm uh, really kicked in so of course i um you know came off the pitch and to find that my bag was like soaked completely from the bottom and uh, luckily i had the presence of mind not to take my laptop with me that day so um yeah it was only uh, the bottom of my magazine that was sticking together mm-hmm. yeah it's not good and it was particularly strong, the rain as well. I was, I avoided it. I, I did a park run in the morning and the rain started just after I was on my way home. Mm. So that was quite convenient. I've literally never been, I don't think I've ever played football in worse conditions before. Like the pitch was basically mud. There was no grass. I'm surprised they didn't pull it off. I think, I think if it started a few hours earlier, it may have been called off. 
I think they said that it was going to start at like 1 or 2 p.m., which it did. And of course, the the kickoff was at 1.30. So I think if it started a couple of hours earlier, it may, the pitch may have been unplayable. Well, it was unplayable because as soon as, you know, 22 guys started running around, it just basically became a muddy mess. So, okay. Well, I think that's probably about it, really, isn't it? So thank you for joining me. And Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. And maybe I'll speak to you again soon. Absolutely. Look forward to it. Well, that's about all for this week. Next time, I'm intending to do a pod on a subject that causes some debate in the travel Twitter community. Ethical travel, but specifically the thought of, and I know this term isn't well liked, but in truth, this is exactly what we are, whether people like us, influencers, have a responsibility to be honest when we talk about a place, even if our impressions are negative, and whether we have a duty to talk about bad associations with a place, even if they're not relevant to why or the way we travel. Until then, sleep tight, don't let the bed bugs bite, And if you're feeling off-colour, keep on getting better. Thank you for listening to this episode of Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, don't forget to leave a review on your podcast site of choice. I'm pretty bad at that sort of thing myself, so I'll understand perfectly if you don't. Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure was written, presented, edited and produced in the Kirkby and Asheville studio by the Barefoot Backpacker. Music in this episode was Walking Barefoot on Grass, bonus, by Kai Engel, which is available via the Free Music Archive and used under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International Licence. Previous episodes of this podcast will be available on your podcast service of choice, or alternatively on my website, barefoot-backpacker.com. If you want to contact me, I live on Twitter at rtwbarefoot, or you can email me at info at barefoot-backpacker.com. Until next time, have a safe journey. Bye for now.